0: Welcome to another episode of Racial Equity in Richmond. I'm your host, Ebony Walden, and this is a component of the Richmond Racial Equity Essays Project, where I'm asking Richmonders from all walks of life to respond to the questions of what's their vision for racial equity, and from their expertise and perspectives, how do we get there? For today's episode, we have Dr. Chaz Barracks. So excited that you're uh, with us here today. Chaz and I know that we're gonna have a dynamic and fruitful conversation. So to jump right into the conversation, just kind of give us a brief introduction of yourself. Um, Obviously your name, what is it that you do in the daytime? How would you characterize that quickly? And then how long have you been living in uh, our beloved city of Richmond?
1: So thank you for having me, Ebony. Um, My name is Chaz, Uh, I use he, him and they, them pronouns. And I'm originally from Connecticut Um, I've been in Richmond on and off since 2009, so I always tell folks that I really found myself in Richmond, so Richmond is kind of like my hometown. Um, originally came here for college, and then stayed for me, and, um, I am a public educator, um, kind of based in higher education, but I do a lot of public arts and media making through short films, and my work is really (laughs) about, um, using film as a medium to make education theory more accessible. So telling Black stories and really seeing Black life as fine art. And in my like academic work, I really think about Black joy as critical practice through science fiction, yeah. film work, um, and public humanities.
0: Wonderful. And I've come across your work, Chaz. I mean, Richmond is like one degree so of separation small. for people. Right yeah. from, uh, I worked with Ryan when they were setting up Six Picks. But so you're the you were the black academic in residence Do so I got that right um, yeah yeah
1: pre-pandemic actually, I was I was the black academic in residence um, the black academic position at six pick is really designed to bring in a, a scholar who identifies as black that uh, works in the space and helps with like tutoring helps curate the black academic library which is the library space at six pick that has uh, books by black and POC authors um, I'm so very involved with six pick and yeah, I, I technically have graduated, so I'm not necessarily going to be the black academic anymore. But we're we are looking for another uh, young emerging scholar to you know take over that position. But yeah, the black academic program at Sixpick is still a thing.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think I, sh- I saw one of your shorts as part of Africana Film Festival as well, right? So I love mm-hmm. this mix of community um, scholar, right, and artists, right. And so that's a very very unique but dynamic perspective, not only do you bring, obviously, to your work and expertise, but to the city of Richmond. So why don't you just kind of tell me, you know, how how did you get into your work? Or, or are there pivotal or one or two pivotal moments that really shaped your connection to your work and the work that you find yourself doing today?
1: Yeah, I like what you said earlier about kind of like the intermixing of like scholarship, artists, and um, educator. Because for me, it's really about using interdisciplinary tools to tell black stories because our lives are very interdisciplinary um, and multifaceted and multidimensional. And so I really think it's necessary to use filmmaking, podcasting, um, and just media in general to make education more accessible. But at the root of my work is storytelling. Um, Mm -hmm. I really, really believe that a lot of the blind spots within institutions that we all are somehow involved in whether it be higher education, art spaces, public education, et cetera, um, is that there's just a major lack or a gap or blind spot um, that comes from really not learning from authentic black stories. So Mm
0: -hmm. everyday
1: black life and really thinking about who we are and what can be learned from us as black people um, outside of code switching, outside of conformity and assimilation and binary ways of, of thinking. And so for me, I would say like a pivotal moment, um, that really happened in my life that led to the current work that I'm doing is um, when I first moved to Richmond, I had the opportunity to work directly with the ex-offender community, um, Mm. folks who were in uh, re-entry programs. Um, And prior to Richmond, I had done some work with students who had incarcerated parents um, as well. And I'm a child of an incarcerated parent. And I think for so long, I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for so long I was, um, and I I love that you acknowledge that too, because it's just good to, you know, to, share our stories and to have that type of representation because i think for so long i was conditioned to not talk about yeah. that and i think when right. i got um to working at boys and ruth i was one of their volunteers through the bonner scholars program mm-hmm. um and when i got to work directly with that community and hear those stories from from their right. voice i feel like it took away a lot of like guilt and shame that i had about who i was and also, it made me realize that I was pushing a part of my identity and a part of my story kind of down, and I didn't really want to do that. And so, having an opportunity in college to not just like study criminal justice, which was my major in undergrad, um, that didn't give me the opportunity to really learn from folks' stories and be able to like kind of engage in a reciprocal relationship where we were able to share stories in a non judgmental way. And I also yeah. just realized that um, from having a parent who was in the system, there is so much to be learned um, when we see those folks as scholars of their own experience Mm. Um, instead of like studying criminology at a space like university of Richmond where I was. And because I had a a life experience, that connected to the system. I was always feeling like there's just something missing from what I'm studying. And I think that for me, it definitely was a pivotal moment being able to not just do service work that like you know made the community better, but to gain a reciprocal relationship where I was learning and exchanging knowledge and exchanging stories um, through the work that I was doing in the community and I think that kind of root in storytelling is really what yeah. motivates a lot of the work that I do is how do I use media um, education the resources and at these universities to make sure that the world is learning from stories um, in particular black black stories that often go unheard.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I love the um the integration of self that that emerges mm-hmm. with those storytellings of I was talking to somebody else the other day about another project I'm working on. And I was like, it's one thing to think about these large scale issues from like a social policy, social movements. But these things are actually happening to people Mm -hmm. in people's lives. And it's another thing to really integrate that of like, yeah, this is what's going on in the world, but it's actually affecting people's lives. And here's how and and bringing those things together, because sometimes we think about. Oh, this faraway policy, or this is what's going on, but no. Let's integrate that to say like it's impacting people's lives. And I love the the integration of self of like oh, I was serving this, but not connected to my own story. But mm-hmm. when I connected to my own story, it made me connect greater with other people's story, and that just has some wonderful power to it. And I and I love that integration of self that you brought to that particular aspect of yourself. And yeah. then how did how did you um connect that to, because film is another way of storytelling. So how did you, I'm just curious, how did you sort of bridge that and get into that particular medium?
1: Yeah. I mean, the integration of self is, so I write a lot about just like the personal as political. And so Mm -hmm. I think as a black person, as a black gay man, that's in academia, my body and, you know, my existence is often politicized and I'm often working Mm -hmm. for people or with people that just like, do not understand um, my experience or what it took for me to get to Where I am, and there's like so much around like diversity and inclusion to get people like me into the higher ed space, but there's not a lot of resources to keep us there to help us feel a sense of belonging. And so, for me, um, I always tell people, even after folks watch my film work, I always say like I'm not a sound engineer, but I have a a really great podcast, and I'm not a a trained filmmaker, but I make films because I just think that these tools are for me. They're kind of like an apparatus to make education more accessible. I think film is a very like collaborative medium. And um, for me, even though I'm, I'm a geek and I love to read and I, I love education, I also have like severe ADHD. And so I'm not someone that can just like, you know, be tucked away into the library and work on a research paper. I have to be able to like see it, to hear it, um, to touch it, to move. I, I do a lot of dance, even though I've studied criminal justice, I did a lot of dance in college. Like the work has to kind of have a lot of different like textures for me um and i think that's just because my work is so informed by my life experience which has yeah. always been you know my my aunt Sharon's table is is a is a learning place our kitchen table is, <laughs> is, a, is a place of storytelling so for me i always thought that film was just a way to hold myself accountable to keep the work accessible but then also to like you know not push down the the folks in my life that or the stories in my life that i also feel are worthy of being learned from and so i use film because it allows me to work with various like senses and tell stories through visual arts through spoken word and also um because it's just inherently collaborative
0: yes i love that um mm-hmm. so let's tra- transition a bit to the second question i asked the first question because just of what all of what you said like mm-hmm. we can expouse upon these really difficult problems but i fundamentally want to know who the person i is in talking who, who you are that I'm talking to and like, mm-hmm. what inspired you? Cause if I understand your story, then I can understand your perspective on whatever issue that we're talking about. So you've been in Richmond since 2009. So my math is bad. So that's about 12 years or so. Right. So you have seen think, a yeah. lot, right. Mm-hmm. I've Do seen a manage- lot of changes.
1: Yeah. I've definitely yeah. seen, um, I live in Jackson Ward in Richmond and mm-hmm. I, I love living here because I grew up in the suburbs of Connecticut. So like, I just didn't grow up around like black folks, Right. So I love to be able to leave my neighborhood and just like see black people. That's just important to me. But yeah, I Richmond has changed a lot since I've been here in 2009.
0: Yeah. And so what are some of like two or three of the biggest inequities that you see just being so some, those, so many perspectives you bring, but what are the kind of the, a couple? Things you want?
1: So I, I wrote some answers, but I'm also trying to just like have a kiki with you too. So I'll go back and yeah. forth, but, um, <laughs> In my field of work, in my field of work specifically, like I was I was thinking about this before we got on the call. And I feel like from being in public arts in the nonprofit sector, um, by way of kind of being nestled in academia, an inequity that I definitely see is just a lack of sustainability um, for rich and based mm. talent. Um, mm. I think a lot of the major institutions that are here that I work with, whether it be, you know, the two big universities, I feel like there's a trend um, with them in terms of... Um, a lack of persistence for the folks who are here and then often trying to like bring people into richmond in ways that um put them in community projects or community spaces but mm-hmm. don't always um they don't always end up saying so i think in higher ed mm-hmm. I, we have a lot of turnover um and so i think there's just like a a lack of sustainability towards like sustaining richmond-based talent um and i'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm obviously speaking more about like you know from working with vcu and, and u of r yeah. Um, And I think both schools have very different challenges, but I've witnessed so much black and POC talent in Richmond kind of come and go. Um, And there's like a, and shortly I'll kind of be a part of this, this trend as well um, in terms of leaving Richmond to feel more valued by, by the institution. Um, And then also I think that um, the folks who are here now need to be like more valued for like their deep relationships with people and the programs and the collaborations that they've already been doing without the help of institutions I think that hmm. there's still like a a struggle to kind of really learn from the folks that have been on the ground in Richmond. And I think sometimes we see that a lot where it's just like the same group of folks are always kind of pushed to the center. And I think yep. I can't speak on it specifically, but I do think that there's a, there's just a lack of undervaluing Richmond based talent. Um, and then I think another inequity is just kind of like the lack of space. So For me, I I would say, like, a a pressure point has been working at a space like U of R. um, I just don't see, like, a huge connection with Richmond Public Schools in terms of resources. And I think, again, it goes back to that that trend of, like, bringing talent here, but not always valuing the talent that's already here. And while I know that there are several programs where both institutions are involved with public schools here, I still feel like there is more that can be done when you think of just, like, space. So, like... I want to see more um, public school students really being able to utilize the university spaces here. And I'm not just yeah, talking about yeah. college tours or getting into college, because not every student is going to go to college, but I mean the, the physical buildings, like the sharing of the actual resources. That's been a big part of my kind of like uh, positioning myself at Six Pick while I was in grad school, because I have you know, access to resources at a space like University of Richmond, because I've been able to assimilate and have been able to get into that type of space, which can be very Mm -hmm. violent to black students. Um, That's a whole other episode. Um, But because I've been able to position myself at Sixpick, the resources that I had that I had access to in the university, I was able to fuel them into Sixpick through whether it be donations, getting faculty to do programs there um, getting folks that want to support me to be able to buy books for my dissertation, but they're actually going to be books for six pick, like that kind of like what I call con artistry, that kind of, you know, making the system work for us instead of waiting for the system to work. Um, and so, yeah, yeah I, I, mm-hmm, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, I love that. Um, and to me, it really talks to particularly your last point of, you know, sometimes gatekeepers, whatever that means. I'm like, mm-hmm. if we have, are at these institutions or these institutions are anchors in our city, how mm-hmm. can we fling the doors open? So it's not like exactly, oh, this yeah. is, this type of person is over here and this type of person over here and it really fuels this tale of two cities, like one that's prospering and one is that not. And you see mm-hmm. you can go from one part of the city to the other and say it's a completely is different, yeah,
1: different challenge. This
0: is the unresourced mm-hmm. and there's so much space, like physical space. And resources and talent and connection that exist over here that's not the very a, siloed. Yes, it's mm-hmm. not there should be a free flow of those things. Like why have these institutions that are doing great things in Richmond for Richmond, but that's not benefit benefiting the people that actually live here from day to day over generations. And that I think that connects what you were saying of how do we cultivate talent here right we don't have to import it all the time because if you think about you think about the city and how it's changed and the population has changed right we've gotten like 30 some odd thousand people which is like changed us demographically but how are the people doing that have been here can they mm-hmm. still stay here can they live in this can they thrive
1: do they feel a sense of belonging yes. at these institutions that kind of come in and during the um and again i'm i believe that if you love a space you should be the one that is critiquing it and so i love higher education in the nonprofit sector, but I'm, you know, very critical of higher education and the nonprofit industrial complex. And when I talk about space, I think that space is just physical space is tied to so many inequities in Richmond. And that's just been like a central observation in my work, which I think you helped me condense it down, but it's just like, I'm really asking a question of like, who has space in Richmond, who owns space in Richmond, Um, And what are, you know, the kind of inner politics of space in Richmond, because I do see like, you know, just from living in Jackson Ward and thinking about how Jackson Ward is like the arts district, there's still Mm -hmm. so many unutilized buildings on Broad Street, but there's so many dope black folks that are doing amazing things in Richmond who I've collaborated with that don't have ownership of physical space to do the amazing dope work that they're doing. And I want to see more mutual aid. I want to see more imaginative ways to think about um, real estate ownership in Richmond. I want to see you know the black folks that I have seen on the ground in Richmond, um, like folks who are working with me at Six Pick. I want to see us owning a building like Six Pick, right? Sure. Um, and I'm just really interested in as Richmond gentrifies and obviously more people buy homes here because owning space is a big part of you know solving some of these inequities. I want to see more like mutual aid and pipeline programs that are helping folks um, like own the space that they are doing their community work out of.
0: Because real estate is,
1: you know, I mean, it's a it's a thing. And I think that from living in, I'm speaking from a perspective, from a perspective yeah. of living in Jackson Ward and I just feel like Jackson Ward is a historically black neighborhood, but I wanna see more black people being able to buy in Jackson Ward in more accessible ways.
0: You and I are on the same page, right? So my background is in urban planning and the whole thought this kind of essay project is to think about how do we create a vision for the future of our city Mm -hmm. in the beginning of my essay that will be included in this project i talk about the space right so Mm -hmm. when i was eight i'm going from one community across the track and it begins to look different and my Mm -hmm. community is black and brown and this community is white it looks completely different Mm -hmm. anyway the whole idea to develop about how we can institutionalized racism and race and racism is written into our landscape, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we develop tools to unwrite that, right? Which we see every day and it has to do with who owns this space. I love Richmond for the art and murals and the black people everywhere, but do they own those particular yeah, spaces? And, we're, we're at, oh, um,
1: and I just want to say so real quick, ahead. like we're at a pivotal moment as like Richmond is kind of like the leading city in terms of taking down the monuments. Look at what's happening on Monument mm-hmm. Avenue. We've been able to see kind of like, you know, a reimagination of space through the, through the the monuments that were taken down and what, everything that happened at the Lee Circle this, at Marcus Sabus Peter circles this year. Excuse me. So we are at like this moment where Richmond can really be the leader in reimagining space and letting you know the community kind of decide you know what to do with these spaces. And um, I, I say this because I think this conversation is really important because as someone that. Works in higher education. I think that I've learned. If I learned anything from from having all these degrees, it's it's just not possible that like everybody's going to get to college and that's going to equal success. So I think True. we need to yeah. be, as a, as one black person who's already done it, I think that I want to be at tables where we're holding these institutions, whether it be the museums, the in, the higher ed, the big schools like VCU, which is basically a real estate company because VCU's taken over everything. Right, like. I want mm-hmm. us to basically start holding these universities accountable to do more than just, you know, help get students in for college. or what does it mean for them to be a part of, you know, reimagining how to use their their physical spaces for the folks in Richmond who need it?
0: Yeah, and being an integrated neighbor mm-hmm. in our city. Right. And so there's just there's- more that
1: we can be pulling from 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 these universities um, and from the big institutions in Richmond that are apparently like leading, you know, community work here. Yeah,
0: so I I hear you say you've kind of even transitioned to the next question, which is really what your vision is of, of this vision of a transformed Richmond where there is space owned, occupied by black folks, right? That they have a presence, that they're transforming space, but that transformation isn't um, separated from ownership and that these institutions that are big resource anchor institutions are actually helping, facilitating, open up their doors, whether it's actual space or resources or knowledge or innovation or whatever, are actually supporting the development of the whole community, not just, not just the ones that
1: make it into college.
0: Right. Right. Not just the ones that make it, or even, you know, their, um, employees per se because I feel like sometimes you can be like okay this is our community but don't realize like you're part of the Richmond community and how can you join in a deeper more invested money invested Mm -hmm. way a part of the conversation in the community and your first point talks about you know deeper sustainability and representation of right this turnover in talent, not only in the university community, but probably in general in corporate and even nonprofit, how can we cultivate not only sustained over time for people, which, which I think makes probably about how do we make these places not only welcoming, but lucrative in the sense most people are probably leaving because either they weren't treated well or they're not making enough money or they're not respected mm-hmm. and honored in this space and I think that that's something that's the next phase because we're always thinking about representation representation but and I just, just think that, that there's there's just a lot of invisible
1: there's a lot of invisible labor that black women in particular and, and black folks that are you know running programs or working in uh, community spaces have to engage in which I think leads to a lot of burnout um mm. I'm a I'm a early, you know, professor and I already see it now that there's just certain things that I have to do, like, you know, teach the anti-racism classes, um, and kind of, you know, be emotionally drained in ways that people that are doing the same thing as me but are white don't have to necessarily deal with. And so, you know, we need to start reimagining what compensation looks like too um oh. for for black folks that are working within these institutions that are rooted with white supremacy um and i think my my vision because i think we're getting to that question <laughs> i'm trying to keep myself on task <laughs> No, you're good. You're good. but my on. yeah my, my my vision for racial equity in richmond i think um you know i i gotta quote uh bell hooks but bell hooks writes this essay about like listening to the imagination of the marginalized and for me i always bleed mm-hmm. with the fact that like you know i acknowledge when i'm in space i'm a child of the incarcerated i'm a first generation college student um, and it took a lot to get me, it took a village to get to, to get me where I am. And so I want to always honor and acknowledge all those identities because I remember a time where those parts of, of my story, I felt mm-hmm. like I needed to suppress. I felt like I needed to not talk about that part of my story or not tell people where my parent was. But that allowed me to not uh, center the learning that comes from having those experiences. And so yeah. Bell Hooks talks a lot about kind of listening to the imagination of those who have been the most marginalized, whether it be Black folks, uh, low-income folks, trans folks, non-binary folks, queer or disabled folks. And so I'm really interested in really seeing, seeing us, seeing those individuals as architects of how we get ourselves to you know, a better future. And so my vision would be that there's just more space in Richmond to make a reality what Black folks who are severely marginalized dream about as a mechanism Mm -hmm. towards building a better future that more authentically reflects listening to those who have been historically unheard. I love that. Yeah. It's dreamy. It's sci-fi. But I I do think that there's just so much to learn from the imagination of those who have been um, unheard and really thinking about how do we fund black joy as a, as a, as a practice instead of, you know, only talking about black joy in response to oppression and racism, because we know Mm -hmm. that there's, there's more to us than, you know, our oppression and racism. And I just think that I um, have really been trying to center black joy in my work as a critical practice. Um, not only black, not only center joy in response to uh, oppression and racism, and police brutality.
0: Yeah. Just as this is what we do. This is a piece of who we mm-hmm. are. That's not Cause there's old. so
1: much joy. And I think that a part of us, you know, having to, engage or work with these institutions that are rooted in white supremacy, I think that it's time for us to demand that um, our joy is also funded equitably too.
0: Ooh, I love that. Yes. Fun. You Fun.
1: said one cool. sentence, but like, I can't, you know,
0: I'm not a one sentence <laughs> no, kind of like, girl. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. I love. I, lo- I love that. I love the imagination. I love funding Joy, particularly if you're working for institutions in the nonprofit sector, mm-hmm. like the nonprofit sector, people are characteristically overworked and underpaid, right? And that undervalued. is undervalued, yeah, undervalued, and it doesn't re- support their longevity. This is really, really hard work, and folks are doing it on the ground. So, but they are, are, but
1: we, but they need people. us. They need us. Yeah. You know like. in my in my in my uh, latest film project everyday black matter we have a quote at the end where we say don't do anything for them unless they overpay you and Mm. that quote is really talking about you know these institutions need us whether it's whether you're a woman and you have to engage with patriarchy to get to where you are to get you where you want to go or like whether you're a queer person and you've got to work in a space that's rooted in heteronormativity whether you're non-binary and they keep messing up your pronouns but want you to come speak about you know gender perspective etc like I just think it's really time for us as black folks to not do anything for these institutions unless we are being fully valued and well compensated for it because we didn't create this mess.
0: Yeah, it's called, what you were experiencing before is I have another friend that's a, a professor and he calls it the black tax, right? So mm-hmm. all the other mm-hmm. stuff that I have to do mm-hmm. in relation to my job that other folks do not have to do by virtue of me being one of very few you know, black folks here. And it, and it takes a tax and it takes a toll and I'm not being compensated for. Mm-hmm. So, um I love all of the points um, that you're talking about, right? So, if I wasn't sitting down, I'd do a little, <laughs> I'd do a little joy dance, right?
1: <laughs> you could do a joy dance while you're sitting down.
0: <laughs> or, I could do some little shoulders for you. Do a little shimmy, uh-huh. shimmy. <laughs> but, let's get into what are, you kind of pointed to it, even in your vision. So, what are one or two or three things that you can point us too as a collective, or you can point sort of the institutions that you were talking about, whether it's academia, whether it's us Richmond collective, whether it's black folks, whether it's white folks here, mm-hmm. what do you want to leave us with to do? Like, how can we, because this is both discussion, but like the strategy, we can bring up all these um, mm-hmm. these issues, but really pointing people, like, what are a couple of things that you feel like we can do to begin to realize the vision that you have set out for us?
1: I mean, I think one is to whether you're listening and you're a colleague, a friend, a donor um, or, you know, someone that's working in the nonprofit space or the education space. I think it's just important to think about your role in supporting and making the world easier for black folks. So what is your role in making black joy more accessible, more possible for us? Because I don't want to just come on to inst- to these, you know, podcasts or work with institutions and just talk about racism, oppression or diversity and inclusion. I'm, I'm done yeah. with that. I th- There's more to my to my my blackness than helping institutions fix their blind spots. And so but I do think okay. that um, everything that I'm saying, while my work is not completely ne- not completely rooted there, I do think that everything I'm saying can be connected to really ending the school to prison pipeline. and. Mm. I I think one thing I want to leave us with too because of where we started in this conversation is just how are we learning from folks who have been severely impacted by the criminal justice system so how are we setting up resources to really see those individuals as scholars right and really redefine or or re-articulate what we mean when we think about who is criminal and who isn't criminal in a white supremacist society, right? Like maybe some of these folks that we've, that the system has labeled as criminal, they've just found an alternative world, an alternative way to survive. And how are we learning from them um, in these conversations about ending the school to prison pipeline and ending prison, you know, in general, especially in the city of Richmond. And so I know I didn't say much about that, but I definitely want my words to inspire folks to think about how we can um value and treat folks who have been severely black folks who have been severely impacted by the system. Um, And then on another note, like, you know, more residency programs that bring all types of artists and educators together in Richmond. And as we've Mm -hmm. talked about with space, like really funding, um, our sustainability, not just like kind of one-off honorariums, but what does it look like to really create programs in Richmond that is funding Richmond talent and that holds institutions accountable to do more for us than just you know bring us in to help them fix their blind spots. Um, a third one that I that I thought about too was just um, again going back to, to to real estate, but just you know how are we um, how are we taking advantage of this moment in Richmond as we are the city that's you know a big we're under the spotlight in terms of yeah. the monuments and in terms of reimagining. Um, the, the city and city space in general. And I I want to see more collaboration and, and, and I want me I want Richmond to get its its due um, in the media in terms of being the city that is leading the conversation on monuments.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's really not necessarily connected with monuments, but just connected with we have been the capital of the Confederacy. So mm-hmm. we have the opportunity mm-hmm. to be the capital of of reimagining what mm-hmm. it looks like to dismantle racism in reimagining our city, right? And this is Richmond, but we can think about us as emblematic of what so many cities need to do around the countries, you know, as, as the seat of so much. And so can we be the, the seat of hope, innovation, reimagining what our cities can look like, right? Because mm-hmm. if we could go from something that's really divided to a model for change. And this, right, for me, this project is is saying
1: mm-hmm.
0: I interact with so many people like yourself. They're just brilliant, right? And so getting their Thank ideas you, out, there, <laughs> getting their. Strategies getting their voice in this multimedia format, right? Not everybody has to be. Of course, you're you're a good doctor there, right? Not everybody has to be, no. which is great, right? Not everybody has to be that, but they've been working. They have great ideas, and and everybody's so multifaceted and multidimensional. Mm-hmm. So how do you capture both the voice, which I think you did great, of like your voice of where you come from and what's influenced you, but then all of the places that your identity. In your experience, hit, bring that together, and then bring that together in the like. What then should we do, right? And, and, and yeah, either...
1: and oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was just like we're in that phase right now of what then should we do, and this is part of what this conversation is trying to do of getting to know folks, getting to know their expertise perspective, but then helping to helping them to inform the city about what then should we do.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I mean, like it's my intention uh, to sound kind of dreamy and imaginative, because I think that our imagination as black folks is constantly undervalued. And mm. I know that what has gotten me through a lot of the the stuff that you have to deal with to get through graduate school or to work in the nonprofit sector as, you know, as the one or the only or one of few, like, is really having that imagination and really being able to uh, think about how you can use the resources in ways that serve you and serve the people that are in your community more effectively. And so I do want folks to, that are listening to really think about, you know, their role in funding black dreams and black futures. And I think that can't happen unless we, you know, end the school to prison pipeline. And it also Mm -hmm. can't happen if we um, continue this, like, this path of only listening to certain types of black folks. Right. So as you said, Richmond being the capital of the Confederacy, we are, at a pivotal moment where we could be, you know, the city that really leads this change. Um, I think that that can't happen unless we have, you know, an appreciation and a value and and we fund, you know, multidimensional black stories and have a a plethora of individuals at at whatever table that is, not just the ones that, you know, fit within the respectability narrative.
0: Yeah, we could definitely get caught up in. I don't know. It's probably everywhere, but the couple people that go mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. folks and how to, again, do you open the door for more voices, more people, and not just the chosen few? Mm-hmm. Because they're, we all have a, have a say and even cultivating those voices, right? Cultivating of, of who else has something to say. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to do with this project, probably could do a better job of having both of like hey, we want to hear from people that we always hear from because that's good, but how do we hear from folks that we may not hear from as much that have a different perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciate you coming and sharing your multidimensional perspective and, you know, as an artist, as a scholar, as someone who's been a student and now working here, building community, and just seeing Richmond from different perspectives because that's what we need, right? Because we're not a one-dimensional place. We're not one-dimensional people, and these are not one dimensional problems to say the least. So and what's,
1: I think what's us cat, let's cat me like super rooted in dreams is working with youth. I think whatever you do, whether you're in corporate America, nonprofit, whatever, you should always have some kind of um, outlet or output or whatever the word is in your work built in where you're listening and learning from young people. Um, I can't be a good professor if I'm not learning from my students. Um, mm. And the same thing at six pick, like, You've been to Six Pick before too. Like, our our the youth that walk through Six Pick, like they make sure that their voice is heard. And I think when we include them in conversations like this, um, it allows us to really think about change in ways that surpass even our blind spots.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This was fun. <laughs> See, I told you, you got uh, me thinking about pretty, lots of stuff. <laughs> it's pretty painless, but as we, you know, it's been great to chat with you, Chaz. See, I told you it was going to be painless. It's pretty just chatting it up about issues that you care about that you know about of your particular perspective. So I thank you for being on today, but also just wanted to give you before I close last chance to say anything that you haven't said, highlight something that's really important to you that you want to leave um, our listeners with or anything that you'd like to say in closing before we wrap up.
1: I just want to say, you know, thank you to everybody, especially you, Ebony, that's doing amazing work in Richmond to center, you know, change and really think about this reimagination of things so that in this current moment of pandemic and racial reckoning, we don't go back to, you know, operating with business as usual in Richmond. Um, mm. And then I think for folks that are interested in hearing more about what I have to say, you can always listen to me at a uh, black matter podcast, which is on all platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. And for folks who want to contribute to what I have to say, you can always send me a cash app or a Venmo yeah. <laughs> at, at Chaz dash Antoine. Um, and you can also support uh, six, six points innovation center um, through donating books by black authors to the black academic library or making a cash donation.
0: Wonderful. And Uh, I hope you all can follow up with Chaz and those handles or fund his black joy, which I fully appreciate. I'm going to have to use that one. Thanks again, Chaz, for coming on to another episode of Racial Equity in Richmond. This is a component of the Richmond Racial Equity Essays Project, where we're asking folks from all walks of life in Richmond to cast a vision for racial equity and tell us from their perspectives how to get there. So continue to listen and on our next episodes. And but bye bye for now.
1: Thanks.